0: You're listening to the Higher Ed Marketing Lab. I'm your host, Jared Smith. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Higher Ed Marketing Lab. I'm your host, Jared Smith. Each episode, it's my job to engage with the brightest minds in marketing and higher education to uncover the practical insights you can use to level up your institution's marketing and enrollment efforts. In this episode, we'll be talking about website governance with Shelly Keith. Shelley is a senior strategist at Modern Tribe, a web agency. Prior to joining Modern Tribe, Shelly spent over a decade managing digital communications in the university setting. Shelley brings a pragmatic perspective to website governance, and I think this conversation is particularly relevant for anyone who needs to exercise more control over their website, but may not have the formal authority or political support to do it. In this talk, we discuss how to use data-backed storytelling to effectively engage with stakeholders, strategies for effectively partnering with content publishers whose website responsibilities fall in the other duties as assigned bucket, and how to prioritize your efforts when you have limited time and resources. This was a really interesting talk with some great practical tips. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Shelley Keith. Shelley, welcome to the show. I, I can't wait to talk to you about website governance.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: I'd like to kind of start by maybe just defining governance for folks, because I know a lot of times when we talk web governance, we tend to define it in terms of policy and procedure, which mm-hmm. is obviously super important. That's a big part of it. But I also know that you kind of think of it a little differently. How do you define and think about what? website governance is?
1: Well, my, kind of my definition of governance comes out of environments where you don't have a lot of resources for, Mm -hmm. or political will necessarily for the kind of policy and procedure um, that makes up a lot of kind of enterprise governance conversations. Um, So my, my approach tends to be very pragmatic uh, and I describe it as ensuring the site is working for the institution um, by effectively stewarding resources for optimal outcomes. And basically it's creating a stewardship model where people Mm -hmm. have some, some understanding of goals. And I have done a good job of tying their goals to um, overarching kind of governance rules that we need to adhere to for various reasons.
0: How do you think about working in that environment? How do you work within those constraints? What's the strategy there?
1: So My big thing is always to establish a repeatable process that includes, um, being able to measure and show results, uh, and, and then kind of shouting those results from the rooftops and using your successes to build more success. Um, and really it's, you have to be transparent and you have to really work with the stakeholders that you're working with, um, in a partnership, whether in some cases, whether they recognize that's what's happening or not. Um, and it's very much about making them part of the process, uh, figuring out what their goals are, um, and helping Mm -hmm. them identify those things. Because oftentimes the website is this, um, just kind of tacked on additional thing that they have to do. And they know it's important, but they don't know how to get results out of it. And they don't know what, what they should be trying for. So taking the things that they're trying to do and having candid conversations with them and turning what they need, uh, what kind of results they need from the website uh, into measurable goals and then helping them get to that point and then being able to show them success over time and turning those people into your champions.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I'd love it if we could kind of dive into that conversation around interacting with stakeholders, Mm -hmm. obviously, their feedback is very important. They need to be included in the process, but uh, sometimes it can, it can go awry. No, (laughs) what are, no, never. Uh, It's always perfect, smooth sailing. We're always on the same page, Mm -hmm. but um, what, what sort of tips or advice do you have about sort of going about gathering that feedback in the right way? Like what's a, a good way or some, some strategies for going about and gathering that the right way.
1: Um, I generally uh, my last big experience with this was we were doing a complete ground up rebuild um, of a website for a variety of very serious institutional reasons, um, but it gave me an opportunity that some people don't get to sit down with some of these these really kind of key stakeholders and and talk to them, put them through kind mm-hmm. of a standard questionnaire that I developed that said. Um, let's talk about your goals. Let's let's talk about the problems that you're having with the website. Let's talk about um, what you're hearing from the students that you're working with. What are you hearing from across campus? Where are you? Where are the friction points? What are the problems in your office? Um, and uh, it, it, talking about like, for instance, financial aid, just because they're top of mind, um, they wanted to reduce phone calls, and they had. Uh, huge numbers of families who didn't understand process and they were going through, mm-hmm. like, they just had a lot of like, cause there's so much information and so many steps associated with the financial aid process. So we kind of, um, established goals around smoothing out lives, you know, smoothing out the process for some people and first generation parents. And, um, and, and that was, that was kind of the direction that we went. So it, I made it about, um, not only helping with numbers and those kinds of things, but also about easing the workload on the financial aid office and, and making the content that they were publishing, um, more valuable, right? So that was part of the content strategy, but then, um, establishing measures and getting them trained on, uh, basic things like, um, you know, chunking your content and using headers the right way and basic, like super basic stuff that they don't know. And you have to go right. into this recognizing that nobody wants to do a bad job, right? They just need to know what good is. And, and oftentimes throwing rules at people just builds resentment. So figuring out how to tie the rules that you need them to follow to their outcomes and being able to show the benefit of it, Um, so the, so like the why really matters a lot.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of reminds me, I know I've heard you talk about sort of the importance of that storytelling Mm -hmm. component and sort of effectively using research and data to tell a really compelling story. Can you talk to me a little bit about that sort of the role of storytelling in this and, and what makes for good
1: storytelling? Sure. Um, Oh, that's a really good question. So, I mean, you can go into, you know, your your president's council to and the board of directors and try to get support for things. But if what you're doing is is just talking about your problems without any kind of narrative, um, mm-hmm. you're you're just gonna get a lot of people with glazed over eyes and they've they've been asked for money six times that day, you know, kind of thing. But if right. you if you tell a story around how what you're seeing, the problems that you're describing, how that really impacts the university, um, or the institution, or the organization—it um, it makes a big difference. So if you go in and um, talk about bouncer rates and all this other stuff, that's it's valuable and it's true, but people don't necessarily mm. understand what that means um, and the impact. So going in and talking about um, you, you have to you have to build a good story. So you start. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the ones that I tell in my workshops the most often is, um, going through our initial kind of site evaluation audit process. Um, we got a lot of really useful information from the consultant that we hired to do that work, um, that I paired. So I, I had, um, clear information about how content was failing and where, and then I took analytics and said, this is the data for that. And then I took industry research. So I was using um Noel Levitt's data at the time and talked mm-hmm. about our target audience and the behaviors that they were doing, you know, that they were exhibiting. Um and basically told a narrative about how this like seventy seven percent of our prospective student body that we're that we're targeting is coming into the site somewhere that's not the home page which is the one piece of content that everybody cares about and they're coming in to places where we've got this very specific data about how this content is failing and this is their first impression of the institution and i was able to talk about bounce rates in terms of like um conversions and 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 you know not necessarily in that context or it, within that context, but not in those terms. But I was able to talk about kind of bounce rates and, and the kind of financial loss that we were seeing because we weren't converting where we should be and that we needed to be doing a better job converting a certain level. Um, and I was able to really make, um, a really compelling case for why this mattered and, and how mm-hmm. it was going to be a beneficial, um, undertaking for the institution to do better in this space. So, um, that is, that's basically the whole thing, right? Is being able to take all of these kind of disparate pieces of information and take them and weave a narrative that tells the story in a way that engages the, the stakeholders that you need engaged, uh, in such a way to help you move that forward.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, one thing that sometimes happens is you're engaging with folks who maybe, as you said, uh, the web is not their day job. Right. It's a, a small part of what they do. And and um, sometimes those folks may not always be, say, completely up to date on what we know about user behavior on a website. And they may have or they may look at themselves and say, well, I never use search on a website. Therefore, this probably isn't. <laughs> I just scroll to the footer. And I don't that's do that. I... So nothing's
1: a pro- nothing happens. This is not an, it's not yeah. an issue. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. This is a non-issue. Yeah. Uh, sample size of one. <laughs> how do you, how do you handle some of those those instances?
1: Well, I, I think there's a couple of different things. One is if you're talking about the other duties as assigned, folks who are just plugging content into a website because they're the ones who mm-hmm. have the CMS access, but they're being handed stuff from deans or directors or whoever. Um, the people who actually are touching the website those folks I think have a different set of kind of responsibilities and training requirements than mm-hmm. the, the people who are telling them to do stuff. Um, and, and for those people, when I do compl- when I do training, um, when I do especially CMS training, so what happens is I train on the wise. So I train on um, accessibility and SEO and mm-hmm. basic you know, our message architecture for the institution and, and how they should be referring to things and kind of essential style guide. Um, and, and, and then I tie those things to, um, to the results that they're trying to get as part of that training, Mm -hmm. like SEO and accessibility are really important and they're going to make a difference in your ability to drive traffic to your pages. So these are not only compliance requirements, but there's a benefit to you to paying attention to this training. Um, and then I teach them how to use the CMS. So they, before they get to to the how, before they get to the hands-on piece, they have to go through the why. And part of that is, you know, yes, you want them, you want them educated and you want them to have a concept of why and you want to be able to teach them why things are important. Um, but you also are building accountability. So I have now trained you, um, in, and I do on, I do kind of on-demand online training and, um, Mm -hmm. So that's, it's, it's a, a video and, and contents and then a quiz. And the quizzes are meant to show that this person did complete this course successfully. They did retain the information for at least long enough to take a quiz. And I now have proof that this person knows that they can't embed an image with text in it on the page without taking additional steps. Right. Or that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So there's that for kind of that, the, the oversight, the governance piece. Um, and, and then there's the support that those folks need, right. To be able to, now that they know better when they get this, this, um, edicts down from on high that they need to, to do something. Um, and then they now know that that's going to be problematic. It's got legal implications. It's got accessibility implications. It's whatever. It's got copyright implications. Um, they're able to kind of go, well, <laughs> maybe not. Um, and, and, part of the empowering them to be able to do that is it's part of training, kind of letting them know the legal implications and that their name is the one on the, the log that says that this change was right. made. Right. So they're the ones that I'm coming to and then providing backup support for them. Cause they don't need to be the one to necessarily stand up and go, no, we can't do that. But they do need to know mm-hmm. that they can come to me and I can be the one to go to their, you know, upper level folks and go, let's find a different way to do this. Um, and i think that that kind of all the way around and you're very rarely going to get those kind of upper level folks through uh requirement training through compliance training mm-hmm. right it's not going to happen but if you can get to the people who are actually touching the website you can make a huge um leap in mm-hmm. in being able to better support the overall you know all the stakeholders and all of the goals that they're trying to accomplish um and have a have more of a, a hand on the pulse of what's going on
0: yeah yeah, well, I, I, I love that approach, Ellie, and I love how, you know, when we think about compliance and some of the compliance implications with, you know, websites, it's obviously the the stick or in some cases the baseball bat that, you know, is you're kind of scaring people here. But I think your comment about nobody wants to fail. Everybody wants to succeed. Yeah. And no professor wants to publish content out in the web and then have nobody look at it. So by tying these best practices and showing how Your interests are aligned with their interests. It's such a a smart way to kind of work with what they're already trying to do. I know in any sufficiently large organization, um, there are going to be times where you have maybe certain segments of folks, though, that despite your best interest, despite your best efforts, are going to kind of dig in their heels. They're not really going to be supportive. How do you approach those situations?
1: So I I call this my um, 20-60-20 rule. So you're going to have 20% of your population who are super jazzed, super on board. These are your immediate, they're super excited that anybody's doing anything with this mess, right? They're, Mm -hmm. They're glad that there's somebody taking the lead. Um, and these are your kind of first test subjects right? These are the people that you build your initial successes with and start touting those to build the rest of your of your practice. Um, and then there's 60% who tend to be kind of eh, whatever, you know I'll, I'm right. there's been success, I guess I'll, I'll play along. we'll see how it goes, blah blah blah. Um, and those are going to be the bulk of your folks and usually you can make pretty significant headway in that group. And then there's going to be that 20 that other 20% who want nothing to do with it. You're wrong. You don't know what you're doing. You're whatever the, the they've decided mm-hmm. and you're not going to move that needle, right? There's, that's not the place to put your energy. And that's kind of, right. um, I, I identify those as quickly as I can and just kind of go, mm-hmm. all right, you, 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 do what you need to do. And if there's, if you cross a hill that I'm going to die on, then we'll interact, but I'm not going to put a ton of energy into trying to bring you around um, when I could be celebrating all of these successes with all these other folks. So um, yeah. put your energy where it's going to actually be beneficial to your sanity in the institution.
0: So it's almost like uh, governance judo in a, <laughs> in a sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go with where the energy is already going.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Do you have any sort of parting advice for anybody who maybe is kind of down in the weeds? They you know, realize, okay, I know I could, I could benefit from asserting a little more control over the website and not necessarily have power to do it. Do you have any advice for them in terms of where to start or how to, to maybe take some baby steps?
1: Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I, I not only call this non-invasive governance, I also call it guerrilla governance because oftentimes the work it. that I do is very much like putting spinach in brownies. You're just kind of uh-huh. fitting stuff in under the radar to get results um, that you can then later talk about. Um, so I would say the, the primary, like the number one thing that you need to do is figure out what goal you're working toward. What is it that you're trying to accomplish initially? Um, And then figure out the steps that you need to do to get there. And I would take um, stakeholder feedback and user expectations and institutional goals. um, Find an in, find a a friction point that you can help solve um, and then work a repeatable process. Um, Mm -hmm. Build empathy with the people that you're working with find how you can help them and, and build a connection, um, and do work to enable their success. And it's really about making them successful, getting them, getting their needle moved. So if you can do mm-hmm. that, um, and, and do it consistently, uh, then you're, you're well on your way to building a practice.
0: That's awesome. It really good advice. So, um, Shelly, folks want to connect with you. What's the, the best place to do that?
1: Um, I have a Facebook group where I put all of my um, training materials and slide decks and presentations that I do and can be reached anytime there. Um, and that is at uh, facebook.com slash groups slash web governance. Um, and that is just a quick and easy way to kind of in- immediately get access to everything um, all in one place. Um And then uh, I will be at Hyatt Web in October this year doing a workshop on exactly this topic. And I'm on Twitter. I'm on Twitter, so I'm always on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Shelly Keith, yeah.
0: Shelly, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you very much for having me. I've enjoyed it.
0: The Higher Ed Marketing Lab is produced by Echo Delta, a full-service marketing firm dedicated to helping higher education institutions drive enrollment, increase yield, and capture donors' attention. For more information, visit echodelta.co. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. And as always, if you have questions, suggestions, episode ideas, or just want to reach out and say hi, drop us a line at podcast at echodelta.co. See you next time.